And so we've been working our way through a series here called Kingdom Culture. This is the final part. Uh, actually, I could have kept going for many more weeks, and there may well be Kingdom Culture Part 2. I know we haven't dealt with all the aspects of it, but this just final one for now, for me, just rounds off and balances up what we've talked about up until now. As I said, there are, there are more parts to this, but you know what? I feel that God has given us plenty to get on with for now. So, I'll dive straight in. You know, for us as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, there is a clarion call for us to be different. For us to be set apart. For us to stand out. You know, it's clearly stated in the world that the God's kingdom is not of this world. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but, but be transformed instead by, by thinking in an entirely different way. And we know that Jesus' teaching, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, deliberately turned religious thinking on its head. Do you know, in Judaism, holiness and righteousness and justice had always been a big deal, and rightly so. The problem is, you see, that it, it had become very legalistic. It had become judgmental. It had become hypocritical. And you know, as, as Jesus moved us from old covenant into new, he introduced a, a radical shift, as we know, from law into grace, from judgment into mercy, from, from the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. But none of that diminishes the importance of holiness or diminishes its priority and its power for us. You know, holiness remains a, a top kingdom value. And holiness should be very much in evidence in our kingdom culture. The fact is, as we know, only too well that, that sin and selfish attitudes and ungodliness are weeds that corrupt our soil really quickly if we're not careful. So we have to guard our garden. And we have to be so careful to, to cultivate an environment that is rich in holiness. And that's what I want to talk about today. Without question, without ambiguity, without doubt, God calls his people to holiness. 1 Peter 1 verse 15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Straightforward message. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. 2 Corinthians 6 17 says, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And a couple of verses later, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates 
body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of our reverence for God. Now, holiness remains our calling and our priority to look like Jesus, to carry his heart, to reflect his character, to live out his values. Now, I would argue that holiness is a really beautiful thing. I would argue that that purity is, is attractive and that purity is compelling. Contrast that with the, with the superior, holier-than-thou, judgmental, pharisaical culture that Jesus was parachuted into. We certainly don't want to go back to that. But you know what? If we want to see God move, and I know you guys have a sneaky suspicion we do, Amen. if we want to remove everything and everything that is standing in his way, if we really want to be a place that is welcoming of his presence and his power, then we must make sure that holiness is deeply and strongly embedded in our kingdom culture. Matthew 5 verse 8. These are three of my favourite verses coming up. Matthew 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Just breathe that in for a second. Hebrews 12 verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Joshua 3 verse 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I was reading this morning the story of David and Goliath and and Saul anointing David as king. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 5, David replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come to the sacrifice with me. Do you know what? It is the pure in heart who will see God move. We've just read the verses. No, holiness attracts God's presence. Unholiness repels it. Consecration always has and always will precede the move of God. Historical revival has always started with repentance. With people falling on their knees. Surrendering their hearts and crying out to God. In the Old Testament the pattern went like this. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. Very familiar verse. If. If. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And I know we live under the new covenant, but there's a pattern that is established here. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, climbing the mountain of the Lord is a a metaphor for coming into God's presence. 
And for that, we need clean hands and a pure heart. You know, that hasn't changed since the psalmist wrote that thousands of years ago. In fact, now more than ever, we must prioritise this in our kingdom culture. I intend to be really short this morning. So, so just quickly, three priorita- priorities, if I can say it. Three priorities in worship that we must cultivate. Number one is a sense of awe. Number two is the fear of the Lord. And number three is a deep conviction. So you can imagine as we're worshipping this morning, I'm going great. Because I do know what, I I had that sense this morning. I don't know about you. I did. So let's talk about those just very quickly. Five, three or four minutes, five minutes on each will be done. Number one is a sense of awe. I've always been struck by that verse in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is an amazing chapter. There's a little inkling of a clue in verse 43, which is a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. We're talking about Pentecost. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. Do you know what? Church is not supposed to be a social club. Though it may contain clubs, and hopefully it'll be very social. You know, the barn is set up for people to, which way am I looking, to meet with God and to walk with God and to serve God, to dig deeper and to grow stronger and to spread wider. You know, for me, it's about, number one, our encounter with the Lord. That's where it all starts. And then it progresses in into inspiring us to walk close with him. And then that leads into training us to serve him effectively and fruitfully. That's what this place is set up for. And you know what, in my eyes, we come to church on Sunday for encounter. We're here to meet with him. We're here to cry out and seek his face and fall to our knees so that he can speak and we can listen so that he can move and we can be set on fire. You know, to get there, he must have our invitation. Thank you for those people who came up this morning and, and gave us a word that's kind of can open to just open the door to, to draw us in. No, or it is the direct result of the manifest presence of God. When God comes, there's a, there's a weightiness, a kabod weightiness. There's a, there's a thickness. There's, there's a tangible sense of awe because the Holy God has arrived on the scene. The awesome presence is there because God is awesome and God is is present. And if we want to see God move, and we do, the first priority has to be to invite that awesome presence by falling on our faces in worship. 1 Chronicles 16, 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering 
haven't forgotten the offering, right? Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Do you know, as, as hosts and as worship leaders, we're trying to create that atmosphere. An environment where God can move unhindered. Acts 2 verse 43, a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. When God comes, everything changes. Second one is the fear of the Lord. So we're still in Acts chapter 9, a little bit further down the line. This is just after Paul's conversion, which is a glorious story if you remember that one. So then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. There's a real danger that we lose the fear of the Lord. As my father-in-law would say repeatedly, that there's a crucial balance to be struck between God Almighty and God Almighty. Now the usual definition of the fear of the Lord is a reverential awe and respect for God, which is all very lovely and quite gentle. But I remember one time listening to Bill Johnson saying, When it says fear, it means fear. There's a reason that God told Moses to take off his shoes. Because where God is, it's holy ground. Psalm 33 verse 8, Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. Psalm 99 verse 1, the Lord is king, let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim, let the whole earth quake. There's there's just a great scene in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe which sums this up so nicely. You might remember the scene, Mrs. Beaver is preparing Susan and Lucy to meet Aslan. They've heard of Aslan, they've just heard the name. The new to Narnia, right? Mrs. Beaver says this, make no mistake. If there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. (laughs) Then isn't he safe? Says Lucy. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. You know, the fear of the Lord assigns God his proper place. You know, that's where it all starts. That the fear of the Lord also puts us rightly in ours. The fear of the Lord gives his word, due reverence and authority. The fear of the Lord honours his presence on bended knee. The fear of the Lord defers to God in everything, fully yielded and surrendered. 
And the fear of God dictates what we embrace and what we run from as fast as our little legs will carry us. Proverbs 3 verse 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, the reality is we will not have a world that fears the Lord until we have a church that truly fears the Lord. Now, if our Christianity is, is merely lukewarm, for a start, non-believers will be singularly unimpressed. But secondly, if you've read uh, the letters at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says the God will spit us out of his mouth. However, just flip that on its head for a second. I wonder what a church that truly fears God would look like. Because, you know, that would be an entirely different story. And the third one on my little list here, of course, they're all intertwined and related. The third one is conviction. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, this is Paul speaking, says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Amen. And then uh, in the letter to the Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1 verse 5, For our gospel came to you not merely in the form of words, but in mighty power, infused with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Do you know I'm all for words? Words are powerful. For my experience, church includes a lot of words. I'm quite partial to the odd one myself. But the idea is this, when the word is preached, it shouldn't just feature the clever use of words. Appealing stories and Good list and principles. But ministry must also be infused with evidence of the Holy Spirit's power and a deep sense of conviction. You know, when we come together, it shouldn't just be nice, happy and bright. I love nice, happy and bright. But there should be a deep and significant and tangible sense that God is here and that God is at work. Conviction is the Holy Spirit prompting and pricking and stirring our hearts. Conviction is how how God warns us. It's how God makes us uncomfortable. It's also how he leads us to safety and protects us from harm. Conviction is the force that draws us to Jesus and away from from sin. In Acts 2, 30, verse 36, sorry, Acts, yeah, Acts 2, verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, I, I've been in services where, where after an extended time of worship, no one has dared to move or speak. Do you know when they dedicated Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, the glory of God, it says, was so heavy the priest couldn't even stand to minister. One of my favourite stories is a Smith Wigglesworth story. and uh, Back in the day, he was a really gruff, 
Yorkshireman with a really powerful ministry. He was known as the Apostle of Faith. And a young uh, wannabe clergyman, as it were, said, you know, Brother Wigglesworth, I'd love to come pray with you. And so Wigglesworth said, that's, that's great. Just, just come along for breakfast tomorrow and we'll pray. So he turned up and, and Polly was making breakfast. Smith was already praying. And she laid on a lovely breakfast for this young man. And oh, where's Smith? Oh, he's, he's in his prayer closet. He's in his prayer closet. I had breakfast, right? I'm going to go in there now. And goes, goes to pray with Smith. Five minutes later, the man comes out on his hands and knees and utters the words, there's too much of God in there for me. The moral is we need God like that. I'll tell you what the dream is. This is my wrap up. The dream is that whenever we gather, whenever we worship, whenever we open up the word of God, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is so strong that people are brought to their knees by the fear of the Lord. That, that a sense of awe settles over his people, that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is deeply at work in every heart. That's the dream. And if we really want to see God move, and we do, we need to cultivate that atmosphere. We need to work that soil. We need to develop that kingdom culture and all the other attributes that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Would anyone this morning join me in asking the Lord for more of that? If if the worship team could come forward, that would be great. Thank you. Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have a God who longs to meet with us whose hand is constantly outstretched. I'm convinced, Lord, you're merely waiting for our invitation. You're waiting for us to reach up and grab hold of it. You're waiting for us to let you in. God, we want to see you move. God, we need to see you move. We see a world that is crumbling, falling apart, Drifting further and further away from you. I'm convinced, Lord, we will not see the change we want to see outside of the church until we see the change that you need to see here inside the church. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves today. So, God, would you work that in us? Would you work your your holiness and your purity? and your righteousness and your goodness Lord would you work them in our hearts individually would you work them in this place this church collectively Father that whenever we gather in whatever context there will be a deep sense of awe that we will be governed to by the fear of the Lord. She would always be seated on that throne where you belong. And we would always be on our knees before it.
And Lord, when you come, everything changes. That's the place that you move, that you shake, that you rattle, that you roll, that you speak, that you stir. You do all that you need to do. Father, may we have an experience, that, that deep sense of conviction of you leading us in whatever form that takes. Lord, we just want to create that soil. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves today. Holy God, you have our invitation. Would you come do in us? Would you come do in me? Whatever it is you need to do to move us to wherever it is that you need to be. In Jesus' name.